this weekend. Do tell. Um, Mom and I went over to Leaper's Fork, which is so close. I mean, it's still Franklin. Yep. Um, And just a small little area with a few shops and restaurants. But we went to the Country Boy restaurant, which has been there, you know, for a long time. And it's really just good breakfast. I've actually never been. I'd love to go. Well, we want to go and bring Jacob next time. Um, because it's just so family friendly and adorable. So anyway, we went for breakfast and to enjoy a pretty day mm-hmm. and, um, eat good fried green tomatoes. They do them right there okay. at the country boy. So anyway, eating my breakfast and I heard a familiar voice that caused me to look over at this one particular table. And it was Mike Wolf from American Pickers. Love it. He lives there in Leaper's Fork yes. and frequents all of those shops and restaurants. And so anyway, I just thought that was fun. That's that fun. He was there and had his wife and daughter with him and some of his daughter's friends. Yeah. So yeah. Um, very so family fun. friendly place. I love it. It was a fun time and I do want to go back soon. Yeah. Let's do Jacob. it. Let's do it. Anyhow, we uh, had a cool idea mm-hmm. because we, you know, when we named this podcast Steel Magnolias, it was based off of the concept of a steel magnolia. Right. Uh, not just a movie review. Yes. <laughs> on a great movie and play. Um, but just that idea of someone who's walked through great adversity or trials come out with such grace. Yes. Um, and as we were talking about maybe occasionally doing episodes where we interview somebody we consider a steel magnolia. And we know some. And we do And there's know so some. many, I'm sure, that we don't know. There's hundreds out there. Yes. But I even think it's inspiring to hear stories of somebody walking in great grace in hard trials. For sure. Regardless of if you know them or not. It yes. It encourages your soul. Yes. And so we thought... We would like to introduce you to a few that we know and ask them some questions and that kind of thing. Yes. So the first one that came to mind both for of both of us yes. was our dear friend, Glenda Sutton. Yes. Um, we know Dare and Glenda because they pastor a church and ministry called Family Affair Ministries. Um, and we met them in, I couldn't remember, it was somewhere around 2004 or 2005. Yeah. Um, when our home church was partnering with them to serve in the East Nashville community. Yes. They do so many different kinds of things um, that the community needs. Daycare, after school tutoring. Um, they, they go do, to the high schools even. Yeah, and, and do like um, different mentoring and leadership. Yeah. They, she did like a leadership school. But um, she'll even do like a chili dinner for the football team. For the football team, team and feed them and pray game. for them yeah. before their game and that kind of thing. But yeah, they do a back to school bash in August where they get the kids ready for going back to school with haircuts and giving them a backpack full of the school supplies they need. Right. Things like that. Um, they have transitional housing for yes, we've painted, many scenarios. We've painted <laughs> rooms in the house and mom's made pillows for the bed. drapes yeah. and all yeah. kinds of things. So they have a Christmas store where they allow um, 
people in the community that don't have money to buy gifts for their children to come and just get the gifts. Right. In kind of an integritous way. Like yeah. they're shopping. Come pick out. Right. Yes. They call it shopping. Yeah. But there's no money exchange. Right. So yeah, just helping them in doing projects like that is how we met them. That's so cool. Yes. And so And that bonded us for sure. Anytime oh, you're yeah. serving with someone It does it bring bonds a bond. You. Yeah. So we call her our brown sugar cinnamon friend. <laughs> She's from St. Joseph's, Louisiana, which I had to look up. I've never heard of that. It's right on the Louisiana-Mississippi border on the Mississippi River. Yeah. And it's just north of Natchez, Mississippi, if you're familiar with Natchez. And so um, she was born in the early 60s, a very turbulent time, which yeah. she's going to share some stories about. But um, yeah, to set us up for what she's going to tell us about. Yeah, so we basically just want to invite you to listen in on this conversation. And she's going to tell us a little bit to start with just foods of her grandmother's and even a little bit about her own renowned red beans and rice. So yes. listen in as we chat with her. Born in a little cotton town. Uh, my, my grandfather worked on a railroad. My grandma uh, was um, was a cook. She was a head cook in the only restaurant in town. Wow. Yeah. And her especially was, well, it was the South, so it was Southern, it was Southern food. And she cooked, yeah. Beatrice, she was known far and wide in Tinsel Parish as the best cook. I knew her cornbread a lot. And I, 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 I tweak it a little bit, but um, her cornbread and, and I do the starter from her red beans and rice. And then I've added to it a little bit. Okay. But every, all of the basic things, the every basic thing that I've learned about cooking came from Anna Beatrice Ellis, my grandmother. She served in a place called Bruno's Restaurant. And now the from the era that I lived in and the place that I lived, it was the only restaurant in town. It was the only it was the only white restaurant in town. And blacks couldn't come and eat in it. Wow. But my grandmother, my grandmother was the head cook there. Yeah, really. Wow. And she and she had come to the back door to do it. When we visited her, we came to the back to see her. And um once I once I became grown and years later, I couldn't wait to go back home. So I could go in the front door of the restaurant. What? And my other grandma, Susie, Susie May Battle, she always did gardening. So she was always growing something. Mm -hmm. So I had one grandma who was always cooking and another grandma who was growing stuff to, to cook. Wow. So in part of the uh, growing up with some, um, I would go to my, with my grandma B. I didn't do a lot of cooking at home with my grandma B, um, Beatrice, but I would go to uh, the Bruno's restaurant. Sometimes she'd be in there and I'd watch her do things and I would see things and, and know things that she did at home. But grandma Susie, my dad's mom, whenever you went to her home, there was always a pot on the stove, okay. especially in the winter months when it was cold and it's a little chilly still now. Anytime you went in her home, you would always smell at the front door, okay. but there was always a pot of stew, a pot of soup, or a pot of beans. There was always something cooking because she always made sure there was something there to feed if any time anybody came to her home. I love that. Mm -hmm. And she always had tea cakes. A tea cake is... um. A flat, a flat sweet biscuit with okay. a, a flat sweet cinnamon biscuit. That's the best way I would describe okay. it. Mm -hmm. It looks like a, it's it's not a, it's not thin enough to be a cookie. It's it's a little fatter than a cookie, but it's a thin biscuit, you yeah, know. Yeah. Yeah. And here's what's so amazing. Now, my grandchildren, because I'm a grandma now, yeah. I've got five grandchildren. And one of the things I heard my grandson, Nathan, heard Nathan, Nathan's five. Nathan was telling his brother, Kevin, he said, grandma's always got something to eat. You know, and that blessed me so much because that was what I would always say. You know, I go, I could always go to grandma's house and get something to eat. So to hear my own grandchild say that yes. is amazing. And it just means to me that um, 
we have continued with even without even realizing that's, right. that's Southern hospitality. You know, it's just who we are. It's in there. It is in there. <laughs> and even I hear people say all the time, even in, in church, I hear people say, um, you know, Pastor, you're such a you have such Southern hospitality. You know, because I'll I'll greet, I'll I'll go and I want to greet them and I'll hug them. And I think everybody in our fellowship just about has requested red beans, rice, and cornbread as birthday presents. <laughs> Well, I told you my my, my grandma mm-hmm. always had some beans. There was always some beans cooking, always uh, something cooking, something warm. Well, what really started my legacy with red beans and rice? So I went to the military. I was in the Air Force, and when I left home to go to the military, I was um, terrified because I was going on my first duty assignment after basic training was Italy. Now I dreamed of going to Italy, but that was my actual first assignment, and I didn't speak the language very well. I had my little book, mm-hmm. but I knew that the thing that I was most terrified of was that I wasn't going to be able to get any beans. That's hilarious. <laughs> I wasn't going to yeah, that there were, that that they, the Italians wouldn't know how to make beans and cornbread. And I was thinking, you know, what am I going to eat overseas? I mean, it's like I didn't think they had other food. You were probably right. They probably didn't know. They didn't. They that. didn't. And so when I got there, when I got stationed, I was stationed at San Vito Air Station. And when I get there, you know, and you go into the, you go into the, uh, the dining hall, the chow hall to eat, you're always looking on the line for something that you recognize. And they had, you know, chicken. They had some things there, but I could never find red beans. And I would even ask sometimes, and sometimes they'd have some American cooks or they'd have some Italian cooks in there. And I said, anybody cook red beans or black-eyed peas or you guys ever do that? And even what they had, they would occasionally have cornbread, but it didn't look like, and it didn't taste like what I was accustomed to. <laughs> so I, um, I asked about, I went to the commissary, and I saw that they had some packets of dry red beans. And so in the, in the barracks, you weren't allowed to, you know, cook in the barracks. So um, I bought a hot plate. <laughs> oh, hot, I did. I got a hot plate, and a crock pot was just coming out. Okay. And I got a crock pot. And because I was determined that I was going to, I, I, need, I just wanted some red beans. So my intention was just to one time cook me some beans. I just wanted to cook. I just wanted some beans. Mm-hmm. So I got me, bought me a little pack of beans, and I got my onions and my bell peppers and the things that I knew that I needed. And I went to my barracks, and I was going to secretly make these beans, not realizing that once they start boiling, yes, yes, it was going to smell. So I got these, these beans, and I start cooking. Now, in the barracks that I lived in, down the hall from the barracks and around the corner was a colonel's, one of the colonel's Uh-oh. office was there. And so I had no, you know, my, my, my lightning fast brain wasn't lightning fast. So I'm cooking, and I'm cooking the beans. Oh, my goodness. And when, when red beans get to a certain place, it just goes by and smack people, you know. And so the, the beans are cooking. And then I had my little hot plate, a little, little hot plate. So I didn't have an oven, but I knew how to make skillet bread. Okay. So I had my cornmeal, and I was going to make some skillet bread. To go with your beans. To go with my beans, honey. And I had some rice, too. You had to have some rice. So I had my beans and my rice and my cornbread. And I'm almost ready. And then I had got me some sausage. I put me some sausage in my beans. So oh my goodness! So and yet the bell peppers were there. The onions, everything was amazing. And there was a knock on my door. And the knock on my door was one of the um, one of the suite mates, people that were in the barracks and down the hall that you shared a bathroom with. And I said, "What are you doing? What are you cooking? You know, you're not supposed to be cooking in here." And so I tried to bribe him. I said, well, "You want some here? Come on in. You can have some." The only aroma was in the building. And so a little while later, one of the uh, sergeants came down and he said, Airman Ellis, um, are you cooking? I said, yes, ma'am, I am. I said, I needed some red beans. I'm from Louisiana. I needed some red beans. And I'm homesick. 
And she said, well, I need to ask you something. And I just knew I was going to be in trouble. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, do you have enough to share? I said, yes, I do. And she said, and the colonel wants to know if he can have some too. So before long, as a result of that, you know, I started buying some little to-go containers and things. And I would cook enough beans so I could share. So I figured if I shared them, I could have some. Yes. And um, so they didn't make me get rid of my hot plate or my crock pot. The only thing was, was when I cooked, I had to share. Okay. And share she does. That is the heart of who she is. It is. It's the heart of her ministry. It, I mean, it truly is the open hand policy that she lives by is what's mine is yours. And I will create you, enough to share. That's right. I think their ministry even has a tagline of God's hand extended yep, or something exactly like that, right. where she'll yeah. say, use what's in your hands. Yeah. What do you have? Then use that yeah. to reach others. Yeah. So cool. I loved that her grandchildren are seeing the Southern hospitality that is just innately in her. And from she wasn't even striving to do that. Yeah. Just, just got in her from mm-hmm. watching her grandmother. Yeah. So precious. And, you know, I really was touched by when she was talking about, um, feeling homesick. Yeah. And what did she want? Food that reminded her of home. That's real. That is, I was just thinking that is really impactful. Yeah. How food, Brings us back to or yeah. smells. Smells. Smells will take you back in a second yeah. to a place or a person yeah. or something. Yeah. Really memories associated yeah. with those yeah. things. I love that story is hilarious that she she thought she was gonna get in so much trouble. And they're like, and just share with us, please. <laughs> love it. Well, I also got thinking, like, what would be your red beans and rice? Like if you were away. Oh, Good question. For months on end, what would be that thing that you're like, I want? Probably more, oh gosh, that's a hard question. Probably more um, just like traditional American food, like a cheeseburger. Cheeseburger. There's not much better than a good cheeseburger. Right. And probably even French fries. Like <laughs> a, a combo meal, really. That's you know, funny. a Coke that tastes the way our Cokes taste, and yeah. French fries and a cheeseburger. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's probably, or something probably sandwich, even a chicken sandwich. So I was trying to, I don't know. Like a lot of other countries do not do sandwiches like we do them here. That's true. So that's probably something I would really. Cheeseburger's a good one. I think also, I, I, I am a lover of pizza. Yes. So pizza might be, or uh, the Southern roots. I do love a good piece of Fried chicken. Fried chicken. Bone in. Yeah. Fried chicken. Yeah. So, I don't know yeah. what it would be. Because for her, it was red beans and rice. She had to have it. Yeah. Going person to person to find some. And I've never heard of a tea cake. That was news to me. The little biscuit she Almost was talking like a about. scone to me. Yeah. I would like it. Because yeah. I'm, I'm a lover of all things bread. <laughs> so, I'm in for tea cakes. Well, cool. Well, um, let's Let's continue her journey because yeah. she she talked to us quite a bit. So um, we wanted to jump in and share a little bit about her journey of her first job. This was also a very interesting story. Well, we're sitting at a table right now at a place called Papa's Place. And at Papa's Place, which is our ministry, one of the ministry houses, the place, the reason that this table is so important, that this place is so important, is because of my childhood in Louisiana. I remember... Um, I worked in a cotton field one summer 
Most people, when you turn 13, you were, you were able to go to the cotton field, which meant early in the morning, you'd get up like five o'clock in the morning, you'd get dressed, you'd put on jeans, you'd put on, you'd put on layers of clothes, have a sun hat, have some gloves, have on some either really good tennis shoes or some boots. And a truck would come through and forget you. And you, you had to have a, a, a hoe to be, you know, like the hoe in the, the garden. Yeah. You had to have a hoe and you had to be dressed. And you would take your little lunch with you. Okay. You'd have some frozen water or frozen drink and something. So at lunchtime you could eat. And you would, we would start out at like 5.30 in the morning. And you would work until about 1.30, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Well, the truck would come through the neighborhood and get the ones who were old enough to go. And we would go to, out to like a plantation style place. Long rows of cotton. Well, the, my assignment, your, the assignment was... When you got off, they had these long rows, and the assignment was to cut down the cuckleburrows. So there was cotton and cuckleburrows, cotton and cuckleburrows. The assignment was to cut down, go through, cut down the cuckleburrows, okay? Well, so I'm going, and I'm excited because I've got a job, and I'm going to earn some money to get my summer clothes and everything. And I'm just going, and I'm just cutting, 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 cutting. I mean, everybody's so slow, and I'm just moving fast. And um, by lunchtime, I had cut and cut. I was, I just, I just thought that I was just great. And by lunchtime, the gentleman who had brought us out, and he said, um, he said, you do realize that you are, do you know that you're not cutting down the cuckleburrows? You're cutting down the cotton. Well, I thought because the cuckleburrows were these pretty purple flowers. <laughs> they had purple flowers on them. They were weeds, but they had purple flowers on them. So I thought, surely you keep the flowers. And so I was cutting down the cotton. Oh, no. I mean, because it didn't, at that point, they didn't have the cotton buds on them. Right. They were just uh, green. And so I was cutting down the wrong thing. Oh, no. So he asked me if I would just kind of rest. I said that I had my lunch and I rested. And then when it was time after eating, everybody else was going back. He said, no, you just, you, just, you just rest. And then when it was time to go home that afternoon and you made $12 a day, he gave me $14. And I was excited. And I told my grandma, and he told me that I didn't have to, I didn't have to come back the next day. So I got to there, and I said, Grandma, I said, uh, he really liked me. He gave me $14 and told me I could take tomorrow off. She said, honey, he just paid you not to come back. <laughs> so, but one of the things that happened that was so interesting that day, if, if for no other reason my being there than to get fired in a cotton field, was that I remember, on the first day, I remember it being there because there was this long, long, long rows of cotton. But at the end of it, there was this big house. And Louisiana is known for plantations. There's so this big plantation house sitting way back. And I remember seeing some ladies out there on their porch. And it seemed like they were just, you know, it's like they were just sitting there enjoying you know, and they were, and I, you know, I know they were drinking some lemonade or some iced tea or something. And I just remember stopping and looking and thinking, wow, I would like to be able to go on their porch. And one day I'll get to go into a plantation house. And I said, you know, when I go, I'm going to go and sit on the front porch and have some iced tea or some lemonade. But I'm going to take the people from the field with me. And we're going to sit on the porch and we're going to enjoy. But we're not going to sit and watch other people work in the field. Everybody from the field will be able to come and enjoy the beauty of the plantation. And so um, fast forward, um, let's see, I was 12, I was 13, well, I'm 57 now. And two years ago, we purchased a property, 20 acres, that's called Papa's Place. And that, and the yard is probably as long as the cotton rows yes. were. And one of the things that we've had the privilege and the honor of doing is bringing families from the inner city, bringing families, bringing grandmas with grandbabies who um, live in busy, 
hard places. We bring them and they get to sit on the front porch and drink some lemonade or some iced tea and rocking chairs. Yeah, we got rocking chairs on the porch. And I didn't even realize until my sister brought it to my attention last year. We were on the porch. She said, Glenda, do you remember saying that one day you were going to you were going to go to the plantation house and you were going to bring people out of the fields and that they were going to be able to sit on the porch or be able to enjoy it and be able to, you know, experience that. I said, I'd forgotten. Mm-hmm. But God didn't forget. That's her name. He remembered. So that's my, so Papa's Place. So Papa's Place, even the name Papa's Place is representative of Southern, you know, Southern charm. Because one of the great things, one of the things growing up in the South that I always yearned and always desired was to have a, a daddy. I could always picture myself going to sit in my daddy's lap or my papa's. I had a granddaddy, and I called him grandpa. And so one of the things that I enjoyed about my grandpa was when he would come home from working in the railroad, I would go sometimes and sit in his lap. Mm-hmm. And so Papa's Place represents not just my grandpa. It's a thought, but it represents our Heavenly Father. Yeah. Papa, he's Abba Papa. It's Papa's Place. So anybody's welcome to come and sit in his lap and enjoy him. Yeah. One of the things I'll... That I love being at the table with you all. One of the things that so has always blessed me over the years, because uh, you're both my friends, is when I would ever come to the table in your home and uh, and have some tea or have have a meal with you. It's always like being at home. Mm-hmm. I've got a spot at your table that I love, and so it's um yeah. I always I sit in the same place uh-huh. whenever I come, and I love it because you get to see it. It's just it's like a wraparound. And it's like um, a big hug, you know? And that's what Southern hospitality is, a big old hug. Wow. I am continuously amazed by her perspective on life. And this story is... So positive. It just exemplifies it. Yeah. Um, This is just one example of how she views everything that has been in her life. She, uh-huh. even the words when she was talking about having that job, she, she did view it as something that she was able to go do. Cause oh, yeah. she, she, you know, she said when I turned 13, then I was able to go Work to the, the cotton, cotton field. field. Uh-huh. Um, she was excited to go earn money for her summer clothing, which is what is on the mind of every 13 year old. <laughs> so true. Right? Yeah. And so that, gosh, that really yeah, is. going to earn money to ma- or in our mom's case, learning to sew yes, to make the clothes. to make money or That's, yeah to, to make, make your clothes, own clothes yeah. she wanted to look lovely as well yeah I just um, yeah this is such a moving story to me because anytime you see a cotton field or there's a right. picture of a cotton field only negativity comes backs it flooding. up yeah mm-hmm. so here is my first ever cotton field story no joke that i have heard from someone that worked in <laughs> only for a day as right she shared, not for long <laughs> but just you know someone that was immersed in that uh-huh. that had something positive to say about it first time ever that i've ever heard that it's amazing And I love that she views all of this as God's redemption story. And I just think, wow, I know some of the women that sit on that porch in those rocking chairs. Some of the elderly women. And I just think, wow, what Glenda must feel of here's the plantation home. That I have truly gotten to open up. Literally brought the women to bring 
yeah, sit in the rocking chair and drink lemonade. Yeah, that's a great point. Women much seem more senior than, than her. her. Right. Right. And y'all, this plantation is no joke. Stunning. It's, it's so just beautiful. north of Nashville. I don't think she really shared much about the actual location, but just north of Nashville. And she did say that it's 20 acres. And it is. It is as picturesque of a plantation as you can imagine. So pretty. Tons of land in front of the house. Long drive, gated. Long drive up to this white uh-huh. mansion home. Uh-huh. And big columns. Yeah, just so sweet. It is And it stunning. is truly God's redemption. Yeah. Story. Yeah. Um, yeah. Leave it to a sister to remind her of that, right? That's right. Well, I told Glenda the first time time I came there. Yeah. I said, I don't know. I just picture you. And I've never, I hadn't heard this story at that time. Okay. And this was my second time to hear it. Yeah. But I hadn't heard it at this time. And when I parked the car and went in that home, I said, Glenda, I just have an image of you in a big Southern Belle dress with a fan out on the porch. That is awesome. And she said, that might be a good cover for my book. Yes. And then after I heard this, I'm like, now wouldn't that be redemption? Yeah. She's the Scarlet O'Hara of the the Tara plantation. Wow. Well, we have... We do have just a little bit more of the conversation we're going to share today, but I think it's so good that we let's do a part two. Going right? to have to do a part two, okay? But we don't want to cut it out. So. <laughs> she had so many good stories, yeah. and it was fun to get to actually go out to this plantation to record. So um, we're going to close by letting her talk about, um, Lainey asked her a little bit about like, does she have any childhood heroes? And, um, if there was anything, any person or persons that stood out. And so you're actually going to get to hear her talk about that. Um, and it'll feed right into, um, the organization that she runs today. She's running where that came name came from. Yeah. Yes. My childhood hero was Uncle Bill and Mr. French. I watched a sitcom that came on, Family Affair. As a matter of fact, that's what our ministry is named for, Family Affair. was because as a, as a young kid, my mom, my mom would be working, and she was, um, had gone to nursing school. So I had my younger, I'm the oldest, and I had my younger sister and my younger brother. And I would run home in the evenings so I could watch Family Affair. My mom was a single mom, and my sister and my brother and I, we had had, had a really difficult childhood. So when I would go home in the evenings, I'd watch Family Affair, and I would lose myself in that family mm-hmm. because Uncle Bill was the best dad. And I didn't, we didn't have a dad in our home. You know, we had different, we had different fathers. So my mom had never been married and, um, from some little cotton town. So a lot of things go on in the South. Yeah. And so we didn't, uh, I did, there was no father in the home. So I would watch family affair and Uncle Bill was the best dad. I wanted a wow. dad just like Uncle Bill. Now I know Mr. French was a man, but I always wanted Mr. I wanted a mom just like Mr. French. <laughs> Because because when the, there was always a meal there, and I think it was a semblance. There was always a meal there. There was always harmony. There was no matter what the no matter what the struggle was in the sitcom. By the end of the show, it was all well. I know it was written in the script, and I felt like I was sissy because I was the oldest, and I had to always look after my sister and my brother. And she was surely she surely was Buffy, and he was surely Jody, and she even had a Miss Beasley doll. Yeah. And so I always felt like I was, my job was to take care of them and protect them. And I was always trying to find my place in the world 
because everything that I had to do, I had to make sure that they were okay mm-hmm. because I was the one left in charge most of the time, just like the sitcom. And then years later, when uh, God called me into ministry, then the name Family Affair just and because family by that time I'd learned about the body of Christ being the family of God, and I knew that everything concerning the Father was His affair. So that's why Family Affair became the so became the name of the ministry. So. So that is not at all where I thought she would go with Childhood Hero. Me neither. I don't know why. I just assumed it was going to be somebody from her community that stood out. Or I don't even picture her having time to watch television (laughs) because she's always doing something. So it really surprised me that that show would have been that impactful on her life that she would name her ministry Family (laughs) Affair. Yeah. But it also got me thinking of just the power of media, both uh, for the good and the bad. Yeah. Like, Think about even this podcast. Every time we load this uh, a new episode up, I have to mark it as explicit or clean. Wow. It's one or the other. Wow. And I can't tell you how many podcasts I come across that I get kind of disappointed that I'm like, they couldn't have. Kept that Left conversation that out so that clean. I can listen in the car with my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Because all they were doing was talking about food. <laughs> right. It's... I think I told you there's a chef that I just stopped listening because he just dropped so many. Yeah. Curse words. So, yeah. yeah. But it is amazing, the power of media. I know somebody who went into teaching after seeing Dead Poets Society. Whoa. Like, I will be a teacher. I'm going to do that. Wow. Like, that's a big thing. That's amazing. Um, Yeah. So, but I just, that was a shock to me that that was so impactful. Well, and I feel like all the time I'm mentioning on here as we go through different subjects and topics, a way that said topic is portrayed in a movie. (laughs) That's true. Right? Whether it be an accent or, you know, um, some situation that was portrayed. So, yeah. Well, I'm amazed, too, when you do travel the world and you see the impact on that our country is making on the world through media. Yeah. More than any other country. Sure. By far. Sure. So, that can be both good and bad. And I think, yeah. like, wow, we're going to have to know that, yeah. that, you know, there are consequences for all of that. Yeah. That power and influence hold some weight and anyhow so okay soapbox hello (laughs) um well she's pinning a book yeah and and she really is she's not just and and some people say i could write a book she literally had a couple of pages out typed up that Uh she was she's sitting next to when we did her interview so we didn't read those but i can't wait to read anything she writes and we of course will keep y'all abreast to that yeah, but like we said this this deserves a part two yeah and um i think we do it next week yeah because you we've introduced you to her yeah <laughs> it made me think you've smelled her red beans and rice now right. you gotta eat it <laughs> you know when yes so our fellow steel magnolia from louisiana glenda sutton we will do a part two for her next week where she dives into even more stories and um even more southern cultural specific subject matters that she loves talking about um so that's gonna do it for this episode of the podcast we hope that y'all enjoyed it be encouraged and 
keep a good perspective no matter what you're walking through this week. Into that. All right. See y'all.